Hello and welcome to the Unfuck Your Biz podcast, a show for creatives to encourage and inspire through actionable legal, tax, money, and business topics. I'm Braden Drake, an author, lawyer, tax pro, and educator. If you are ready to get your legal and tax shit legit, you are in the right place. But before we fully dive in, here is a quick word from my sponsors. This episode is brought to you by My Free Tax Challenge. Here's the thing, taxes suck, they're no fun, but we've all gotta file them. In my free tax challenge, I'm gonna walk you through the five steps you need to take to get your tax documents organized for this tax season. Then you'll be ready to send your stuff off to your accountant, or if you wanna self-file, you can follow my step-by-step screen share video tutorials inside the tax challenge itself to file your taxes on your own with ease. Sign up at www.bradendrake.com forward slash tax challenge and invite your friends. It's going to be a party. You're going to love it. Alrighty. Well, hello there and welcome to the podcast. I like how I always say alrighty, like we've been having this conversation, just not between you and I, Amy, but with uh, the audience here on the podcast. What a great, what a great intro here. So Amy and I are back. I actually made a mistake on the last podcast, Amy, because I told everyone we would be back next week, but I forgot just this morning, I actually decided we were going to release these podcasts back to back. So yesterday's podcast was Thursday. Today's podcast is Friday. We are only one day apart. So Amy, yesterday we talked all about use tax. And today, yes. my intention was that I was going to have you answer some use tax specific questions. Sure. I don't really have enough use tax questions, so we're going to do all <laughs> kinds of sales and use tax questions. Is Perfect. That right? Yeah. Okay, awesome. In so the, the hot seat. Question, there we go. I'm actually, this is kind of weird, but I'm not going to have you answer it. I'm going to tell this person where they should go instead. Rena asked, how do I calculate sales and use tax for something that has a service and product component to it? A, that... If I ask you that question, Amy, that would be a whole podcast episode. And B, we already recorded that podcast episode. So Rena, I want you to go back and listen to episode 21. Um, everyone that's listening now, if you have not listened to episode 21 of the podcast, make sure you go do that. That's Amy explaining sales tax. And then yesterday was the explanation of use tax. Um, yep. We are now on episode 149, which is kind of crazy. There's wow. Like, You're a prolific, lot of episodes crazy. between then and now, but nice. got a lot of good content out there. Okay. So this one's for real, Amy. So Jamie, cool. Jamie C asks, what if you have your sales tax ID, but have not made any sales? Do you still need to submit a sales tax return? Yes, we call that a zero return. Um, and chances are, if some time has passed since you registered for your seller's permit and you have not filed a return, uh, you might get a nasty gram from the state asking for you to file that. Um, but if you're a brand new filer, depending on the state, um, your filing frequency might be um, as, as little as annually. So maybe you don't have an obligation yet. You'll need to look at your seller's permit, the documentation you got back from the state. Um, it could be quarterly, could be monthly. Um, and then even if you're like really small, let's say you do services most of the time, but occasionally you sell TPP, tangible personal property, um, then you will actually be what's called an occasional filer, which basically means if you sell something subject to sales tax, send us a return. <laughs> got it. Excuse me. So if you do get one of those letters, like, What's the worst case scenario? You have to go and file like multiple past returns that show you your dollars in sales. Yeah. And then um, most states these days are online. It's usually pretty easy, especially if it's a zero return and you don't have any revenue to report. It's basically just point, click, point, click, point, click. 
and as they go through the system, it'll clear out. Sometimes they'll send you a notice that actually has like an estimated liability on it. They do that to kind of spook you into taking action because if they sent you something kind of innocuous, then you might ignore it for a while. Um, but then if you register for a seller's permit and you have no sale to report for a significant amount of time, let's say you are filing those zero returns, uh, like in California, for instance, if you do that for a year, I think, they'll actually send you a letter asking you to close your seller's permit. Nice. What if you, if you have zero returns, are they going to, do they charge you any monetary penalty for filing a late? Well, some states do off the top of my head. It's one of the M states. I want to say like Massachusetts, maybe they will charge you like 50 bucks a return for non-filing irrespective of whether it's zero or not. So it actually costs you more to not file. Yeah. Cause this is one of those things we've talked about before. Like don't get a seller's permit unless you're actually selling things subject to sales tax. Cause then you have to do all this shit. And it kind of makes sense. Like I wouldn't be surprised if more, if more, I actually should say, I am surprised that more states don't charge a penalty because to them, it's like, even if you didn't owe anything, this is still like administrative bullshit that we have to deal with because you've got your seller permit. Now we're expecting your returns. We're sending you letters, but we're yeah. not getting money out of you. Yeah. And I'm curious, you know, we talked in the last episode about the new rules under the Wayfair ruling from a couple of years ago. And um, I, I suspect the trend in the next couple of years coming out of states for sales tax is going to be the fallout from all of these new rules and the states realizing that um, they've bitten off more than they can chew and that for some of these really, really small taxpayers that the cost of them like administering all of this stuff is going to exceed any benefit that they get from having all these folks pay. Yeah, I, um, Amy, it's interesting. I, this is reminding me, I outlined a podcast episode, which will not be releasing for like five more weeks. So stay tuned for everyone. But it's basically, I, I don't have a title yet. I have a concept. And it, the concept is essentially that your systems are only as good as your ability to execute your systems. So by overcomplicating yeah. things, you're doing yourself a disservice. And it sounds like that's, that's what the states are doing right now with sales tax. It's like, they totally are. And it's funny you say that because one of the four bullet points that was laid out in the Supreme Court ruling was supposed to be this idea of the simplicity of compliance. Um, and it was clear that the justice who wrote that opinion um, had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. But that's my not so humble opinion. Yeah, this principle applies to all of us in every facet. So I'm, I'm talking about it from like a very business perspective. One of those things where it's like uh, some of us like to spend hours and hours creating like a 28 step client onboarding sequence. But if you get tired of executing that with client number three, really you've just created a clusterfuck of like a dark web on the back of your business, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay, so the next question is an interesting one. Susan Johnson Johnston says, what about those good meaning people who tell you to put your product as a quote unquote service simply because you made it so that you can avoid sales tax? It's still a tangible perishable product. So that doesn't seem right. Um, this is not so, that was a statement, Amy. So th basically this is my yeah. uh, invitation for you to pop off on those people. Well, I mean, first of all, I have no idea what that even means. Right. Um, that was my follow-up question for Susan would be, what do you mean by put your product as a service? But let's just, let's just assume the question is, I'm conceptually thinking about this thing that I'm creating as a service rather than a product so that I can, I can mentally tell myself that I'm okay with not paying sales tax on it. Yeah. And I mean, and then there are actual legitimate circumstances where you're providing a service, but in order to provide that service, you need to either give your customer or have your customer acquire like a $2 widget, right? So that they can then 
enjoy that service to its fullest. Um, and, and if you're not careful with how that gets contracted and invoiced, then you can end up having to pay sales tax on the total value of the service and that little tiny product together. States do have exemptions or exceptions, I should say, to that when you start talking about the true object test and de minimis rules and all of that. But that is a level of minutia that I would, I would venture to say most people don't get into. Yeah, we don't. <laughs> we don't. <laughs> I do have a, I do have a really dumb example though. I, was, I don't know why this of all things popped into my head as you were explaining that. But I was thinking about when we go to amusement parks and they con you into buying like the $12 soda that comes with the stupid cup. Do you pay, like, generally we don't pay sales tax on food, but when we buy like a hot dog at a baseball game, are those types of things subject to sales tax? Yeah, well, so, uh, yes, and. So hot prepared foods or prepared foods that are eaten kind of immediately on premise or taken immediately to be consumed, uh, those even in California that doesn't uh, tax all other food types, those are subject to sales tax. And that's an instance where a service and a product then bound together, create a taxable, in, you know, instance. Um, but like, if the dude's coming down the stadium stairs and hawking you a five dollar hot dog, um, then that's considered like a tax imputed thing. Like he's not going to charge you five dollars and sixty four cents or whatever. Um, and so the the vendor then actually imputes that tax and reports it. So your hot dog actually costs like four dollars and fifty cents, but you paid five bucks. Okay. I really like, this is one of those situations where I have so many follow-up questions on this topic, but I will give some self-restraint because I know my office. <laughs> well, and I can nerd out on this stuff all day long, so. <laughs> I, I'm really, like, I'm really thinking about those, like, stupid souvenir cups you get when you go to amusement parks, but anyhow, we'll move on. Okay, so um, Anika says, if I bought materials from a wholesaler before submitting my resale ID to them, does that change how I file those items as a business expense? So she's asking two questions bound together there. You will have to handle the business expense part, but I can backpedal a little bit and talk about the timing of when you issue a resale certificate to your vendor. So um, if you buy something from a wholesaler and you weren't able at that time to um, give them a resale certificate, then they are going to want to charge you sales tax. And you have a couple of options. Um, you can either delay that and get them the documentation or you can pay the sales tax. And then as we talked about on the last podcast, when you turn around and resell those items, in many states, you can take a credit for sales tax paid on something that you then collected sales tax on, right? So the sales tax only gets charged one time. Um, alternatively, if it's like a large purchase, let's say you purchased you know, $25,000 in inventory and you paid sales tax on that, you can go back to your vendor within a certain period of time and each state has its own rules um, with your resale certificate and ask for a refund of the sales tax that you paid to your vendor. Got it. Okay. And, that, and then the second part of the answer to that question for Anika is, as far as my knowledge goes for a business deduction on your income taxes, none of this really matters. The IRS is probably like, we don't, we don't really care. We don't have anything to do with that. It's not an issue. You paid for something that's a deductible business expense. It's a business expense. Yeah. So that part's pretty simple. Okay. That did, as I was thinking, oh, well, do you, okay. This is a question that I probably should not ask live on my own podcast, but I'm going to do it anyway because I can't help myself. Sure. This is, but this is the thing. It's probably more of a question for me, but I probably am overthinking this. You can deduct on your income tax return, you deduct the sales tax that you paid, right? 
Because if I, like, if I'm going, I'm just thinking when I go to Target and I buy a bunch of office supplies, I deduct the final number on my receipt. I'm not like backing out the sales tax. Because you're the consumer of those goods. Right. But if it's inventory, right, then that's a whole different thing. Okay, got it, got it. So it's overthinking that a little bit probably. Okay, so Stephanie says, this is, okay, so Stephanie says, for weddings, we purchase items, paying the sales tax, craft them into things like decor, and then mark them up for our labor and sell to clients. What do we charge sales tax on? Do you charge sales tax on rentals too, like frames and bases? So that's two questions there. Let's start with the first yeah. question. Let me know if you need um, to repeat Yeah, repeat, separate out those questions for me. Repeat that for me. Sure, okay, please. so first part of this question from Stephanie, I'm gonna assume, okay, I'm gonna assume that Stephanie is probably a wedding planner that does a little bit of design, either that or she's a floral designer that maybe does this, but let's assume wedding planner. She says, for sure. we purchase items and we pay sales tax for those items. So we purchase a vase from Target, we'll yep. use that example again. We craft them into things like decor and then we mark them up for our labor. So maybe I'm buying a vase for $10, I do some work on it, and then I sell it to the client for $20. What do we charge sales tax on is Stephanie's question. Um, yeah, and I am going to punt a little bit on that one, and I'm happy to come back to you with more detail because those industry-specific things get a little, well, just nuanced. Um, and I would have follow-up questions like, is this something that you can use again? Is this an item that you've created that you're then going to like use for this wedding um, and charge you know, your wedding planning and decorative services or, or what have you? Um, but then you can take you know, those vases or picture frames or chalkboards or whatever it is and put it in your you know, storage unit, your warehouse to be used again, um, you know, or is it something that the bride and groom then are going to, you know, take with them as, you know, a collector's item or a keepsake or whatever after the fact. So those things can kind of play in, but I would want to look at the specifics on that one before I answered it. Okay. Can we, can we answer it under both of those hypotheticals? Because yeah, I would imagine it very, very specifically based because sometimes you might, might, you might make this thing and you're like, well, I could definitely use this again. So I'll keep it. Um, what yeah. would happen in that case? Uh, in that case, whatever the sales and use tax rules are that apply to the service that you're providing um, would apply. And then, you know, the cost of that item would be kind of embedded in that overall service package. Right. And so whatever rules apply in your state would then apply to that, but you would have, you would be the consumer of the, the thing that you bought from Target. So you paid the sales tax and that thing, you know, gets kept in your, your warehouse to, to use again. Um, so I don't think you're, you know, you're not passing through the cost of that, that item individually. It's all part of a package deal. So you would collect sales tax on whatever that package markup is. Right. Um, and, but in that instance, you would not get credit then for like the sales tax previously paid because that's a thing that you're going to make use of over and over again. Got it. Okay. If you're going to like, if you're going to, you know, reuse it, then, okay. I think that makes sense. Then it, then it's yours, right? So you properly right. paid the sales tax on it and irrespective of whether you added, you know, glitter and ribbons and whatever, um, that thing is still, you are the user of that thing. So you properly paid sales tax on it. Okay, I think I, I think I figured this out. So to summarize, it's like I buy the vase, I pay the sales tax on it. If I'm gonna keep whatever the end product is after I create the end product, then really my only question is, 
do I charge sales tax on whatever service I provided to create that end product if I'm going to be keeping it, right? Right. And then if I'm not going to be keeping it, if the client's going to take all these, let's say, centerpieces with them, then I would imagine that the answer is similar to what we discussed on the last podcast, where is where we asked, do we just charge sales tax on that difference, the $10 versus the $20? Um, or do you charge sales tax on it all and get the credit for your sales tax on the first $10? Right. And also factoring in stuff we talked about in the first episode that we did together, episode 21, which is the whole separately stated services and goods yeah. kind of thing. Um, and that comes down to state specific, industry specific. Um, but feel free to have that person reach out to me directly and I can take a deeper dive on it. I'm happy to like actually get into the nitty, nitty gritty on that stuff. Okay, cool. That was uh, Stephanie's question. I'm going to make um, an editing note for my virtual assistant to when this podcast episode comes out, we'll tag Stephanie. Stephanie and let her uh, comment comment below in the Facebook group with any follow-up questions. Sweet. Sounds great. Yeah. Okay. So Jen, um, next question comes from Jen Draper, who's an Unfuck Your Biz student of mine. So she knows all about income taxes for sure. But Jen says, I live in Hawaii and I pay general excise tax. Is that the same as sales tax? And should I be charging my clients the GE tax? Yeah. So um, again, it's a little bit of a yes and. So Hawaii doesn't have a sales tax per se. They do have the general excise tax. Um, there are a couple of states uh, in the U.S. that have similar tax schemes. And so the biggest difference is sales taxes are imposed on the consumer. The seller is just basically the intermediary between the state tax authority and the consumer. You're the collecting agent, basically. In Hawaii, and then also um, in New Mexico, and to some extent, Arizona, um, it is a tax that's actually imposed on the seller, not on the consumer. Um, the seller has the right to pass that cost through to their consumer. Um, in Hawaii, that gets a little bit tricky. So off the top of my head, uh, the rate, I think, is like 4%. And when you um, pass that through, then your tax basis for your GET becomes, so let's say you sell something for 100 bucks, and so that's $4 in tax. Well, then when you go to file your return, your tax basis for the GET is $104. Got it. And and so you end up paying uh, you end up paying four dollars and sixteen cents in tax, but you collected the four bucks from your customer, so you're almost made whole on the tax. But yeah. it because it's a tax on tax kind of like funky thing. But yes, That's you can pass it through, but it's complicated. That is really funky. So I I I follow that. For the rest of you, if you are a Jen. Let us know if you have specific questions for the rest of you. If you're not in Hawaii, just, just, just ignore it. <laughs> Amy, I guess an important follow-up question might be, is um, GE tax a thing in any other states? Do any, does anyone else need to learn about that? Right. So Hawaii calls it gross excise tax. Arizona calls it the transaction privilege tax. New Mexico calls it a gross receipts tax. Um, so a, a duck by a different name. Okay. So, the um, so yeah, there are... There are a couple of, of states where um, the onus of the tax is on the seller, not on the consumer. California kind of splits the baby. Interesting. Okay. Awesome. I did forget about Stephanie's second question. We had a two oh. there, so I'll circle back. This one, probably a lot simpler. Stephanie asked, do you charge sales tax on rental items too, like frames and bases? So this yes. is assuming that you 
are you hold all the stuff in inventory, you're just renting it to the client for the day of their event? Yes. Um, leasing of tangible goods is effectively the same thing as selling tangible goods. So um, again, though, you would have wanted to purchase those items with a resale certificate so that you're not paying sales tax on that item. Um, there are states that allow for either paying sales tax up front when you purchase the item and then not being required to collect sales tax on the leasing stream, they call it, on the revenue generated from renting those items out, or you can purchase the items at wholesale without paying sales tax, and then you are under obligation to collect sales tax when you rent them out. So different states have different that's, rules. That's interesting, because then if the state, like if the state gives you an option, they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot, because if you charge sales tax when you rent items, the state's getting sales tax over and over again. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a time value of money sort of thing. Like the the state either gets their money now, but gets less, or yeah. they get their money later, but spread out over time. Okay, well, I feel like the states need to understand the power of compound interest then. So one of those personal finance <laughs> needs to lecture them about Yeah, that, well. Right? Okay, interesting. So final question comes from Maria. And Maria says, as a wedding planner, if you have an inventory of decor slash wedding items for clients to rent, are you required to charge sales tax? So I guess we, we literally just- We kind of answered that question. Yeah. yeah. And I'm going to, just to make sure, I'm going to go take a look. And I'm assuming, well, I, I don't want to assume, are these mostly California questions? Because it really, it, it will depend. Yeah. Um, I'm proud to say that the audience is kind of getting to be all over the place now. Yeah. So I'll just kind of say what I said before. If anybody wants to reach out specifically with a state-specific question that we haven't addressed, just hit me up and I'll help you out. Okay, awesome. And then the second, Maria's second question was, and this is going to be a very general answer as well. She says, what about if services are performed in another state than your home state? And Amy, I think our first answer is, first of all, our services even subject to sales tax and most of the places not. But I, I'm, I'm going to rephrase the question. If I sure. know... If I know I'm in California and I know that my services are not subject to sales tax, but I pick yeah. up like one, two, three, four events in the state of Washington, at what yeah. point should I start to research whether I need to look into sales tax rules on services in that state? Well, in Washington, uh, right away. Okay. <laughs> They're fairly aggressive. Um, in other states, it, it kind of depends. Um, when it comes to selling tangible goods, the states actually have pretty clear rules in terms of like you can come to a trade show and sell your stuff here once or twice a year and not worry about sales tax rules. Or um, you can have salespeople who travel into a state up to three times in a 12 month period and not worry about sales tax rules. When it comes to providing services, though, if you're, you know, if your presence is in, in the state to, to be there and perform a service for a period of time, um, that in and of itself is usually a nexus triggering event, which does create a sales tax obligation. So you would just want to look and see if the service you're providing is taxable in that state. Then we come down to something we touched on in the last episode, which is a little bit of a like, no harm, no foul. I just yeah. did it once. Please forgive me kind of thing. Yeah, because my next question for you, Amy, was going to be, and I'll, I'll role play here. Let's pretend like I'm Brayden, the photographer. And mm -hmm. I say, Amy, Jesus Christ, Amy, I'm doing like, I really want to start a destination photography business. And I have different, like I shoot with people all over the place, but I'm never in the same place for more than it seems like one weekend in any given year. 
are you really telling me that I have to go and research their sales tax rules on my services if I'm just going there one time? Um, I mean, yes. However, <laughs> photography is a really great example yes. because you can start to have the argument of like, where was the service provided, right? So yes, there's the on location piece, but maybe the actual taking of the photos isn't subject to tax. But then you go home, right, to your home office or whatever on your laptop and you do your photo editing and you put together their photo album for them and all of that stuff. Like the bulk of that service, right, is actually kind of taking place yeah. like where you are. Um, and then there's the delivery of the photo album itself, um, which then becomes a destination based thing, which then you start talking about economic nexus, blah, blah, blah. So it's it's layered. Um, I mean, if you're if you're a California photographer and once in a while you get invited to Hawaii, yay, to take photos, then I wouldn't stress about it too much. But if you're like setting out to create a lifestyle business for yourself and your goal is to get paid to travel and take gorgeous photos of people, then yeah, do your homework. Yes, do your, do your, I would even add a second layer to that of like, for, um, add a friend who lived here in California for a long time. She was from Las Vegas. And she did, like, literally, she said she, like, crunched the numbers and everything. Her business was almost 50-50, maybe, like, 60% California, 40% Las Vegas. So if you're in a situation like that, or you live, like, close to the border and a state, then, like, let's for sure understand the rules in both of those states. Totally. Well, because she's going to have an income tax filing in both of those states, too, right? So she's already doing the research. So you might as well just go that extra step. Right. Then, Then the other kind of layer to this is I always tell people, like, there are so many, there are so many rules and laws that are on the books that literally none of us are even aware of. Like one thing that like piss, probably pisses people off is they're like, Brayden, I wish I hadn't listened to this episode because it was like ignorance is bliss to begin with. Right? <laughs> sure. But the reality is, is if you've been going through like relatively unscathed in some circumstances, you're okay. In other circumstances, like it's a problem you need to think about. But at the end of the day, with a lot of my students, it comes down to how much does this kind of conversation make you like worried and nervous? And that's going to inform like how on top of it you want to be. There are some people who are like, I'm not yeah. really that fucking worried about it. And there are other people who need to know the sales tax rules and everything single state in order to sleep at night. So know yourself. Well, and what's really funny is that doesn't seem to like matter in terms of like industry or even size of business. Cause we'll have folks like your customer, your clients, right. Who really want to like, they want to know, they want to do it right. They want to follow the rules and, and they do, they freak out, even though it probably doesn't really matter to them. Um, but they don't know that. And the fear of the unknown is the thing. Right. And then I'll have clients that have been selling goods for like three years and like millions of dollars. And it never occurred to anybody on their team (laughs) that they might need to like think about this um so it just you you, yeah you you, we get all all kinds I also I also like really really believe that at some point in time you're going to get hate mail from some government entity whether it be the IRS the CDTFA used to be the BOE you know your local city for a business license something's gonna fly under the radar or even if you have absolutely everything buttoned up buttoned up there we go you're going to get a letter from someone where they mistakenly think that you've done something wrong. So no matter what you do, you can't prevent that. It's just a part of business. You just deal with it when you yep. get the letter. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, 
well, yeah, back to that whole Wayfair discussion we were having in the last episode, there are a couple of states where new taxpayers are registering under these new economic nexus rules and the states are being aggressive and sending out letters that say, thanks for registering under Wayfair rules, now prove to us that you shouldn't have registered before. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we do, we do a lot of that lately too. Laws please tell us why you didn't do this earlier. And if your answer does not suffice, we will be coming after you. Yeah. And then my clients are like, wait a second. So I followed the rules and did the right thing. And now you're going to like come after me. What about the guy who hasn't registered yet? So yeah. yeah. These are always the kind of questions like when I was in my tax program, I was the person who always wanted to ask the IRS attorneys, the hypotheticals of like, well, what if you're a drug lord? Like, are you going to report me to the department of justice? if I report all of my income and I'm very transparent about how I made that income on my tax return. Because I always feel like they should um, basically have a very high level of confidentiality if they want to collect their tax money. But I don't know if that's the way it operates. Well, I mean, but that's how they <laughs> they actually catch the drug lords because of tax evasion, not because right. of the drug running. So you're better off paying your taxes, I think. Yeah, yeah. That well that was that was the thing, right? I was like, if I'm, you know, running a prostitution ring or a drug ring or any <laughs> type of illegal activity, whether, you know, we believe that certain activities should be illegal, that's a conversation for another podcast. Sure. And like I would probably tell them to pay their taxes because you're better off paying them uh than um yeah, that could be a whole conversation. We had yeah, I had in my tax LLM, I had a one class my tax controversy classes were with like tax defense attorneys. And then I also, I had to take federal tax procedure, which is like the world's most boring class ever. Taught I by can two only IRS imagine. Attorneys. And that was all about like, you have 90 days to respond to this letter and 60 days to respond to that letter. And what happens in tax court if you don't respond on time? It basically, it's like a combination of tax law and just like paperwork. Oh yeah. <laughs> which are two of the most boring, like to most people, two of the most boring topics to begin with. Yeah, and I don't know how the IRS treats such things, but most state tax authorities, uh, a mea culpa gets you a long way. Like, oh, I missed that deadline? Oh, I'm so sorry. Can you give me an extension? And as long as you're not a jerk about it, they're they're pretty willing to, to yeah. work with taxpayers. I always, I always tell my husband, like, well, I don't go to tax court. I never really went to tax court. I just did, like, when I was volunteering at the tax clinic. But he's, my husband's a full-on trial attorney. He does, you know, mm -hmm. he's first degree. He's murder. a badass. Yeah, yeah, first degree murder trial is very serious. And I'm like, if I took him into tax court, he would be like, what is this? Because it's almost like stepping into an episode of Judge Judy. Because it's a lot of people who are pro se, they don't have attorneys. And yeah. like some of the attorneys that are there are never in court. So it's much more informal. The judge is kind of like, tell me what's going on, what happened. Um, I don't know how we got on that side tangent, but we could talk about <laughs> We should, go to, it's all good. we should go to tax court sometime just to like sit and watch. And just to watch. <laughs> Do they have sales tax? Does sales tax go to the same tax court? I don't know if it's the same tax court, but absolutely there is a legal process. Okay. Yeah. It's like federal, like just, it's just federal tax court. There's really no, unlike the state system, there's not like a hierarchy. It's like 12 tax court judges and they like rotate cities. I think it probably yeah. is in place. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, if there's an audit judgment or something that you disagree with, there are various uh, levels of appeal that you go through internally with the CDTFA. Um, and then if those are exhausted, then yeah, you can take the state to court. There are methods for that, for sure. This is where, 
Yeah, this is where I'm going to negate literally everything I just said. And I just realized those are completely different systems because I'm talking about federal income tax, which is through the federal court system. Sales right. tax is a state thing. So. All state driven. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is where, this is the point at which I've lost my own audience. <laughs> All right, Amy. <laughs> well, well, I had a lot of fun. I hope you did too. Yeah, I know. Well, you and I, we, well, we, we need to go get lunch. Of course, we haven't been able to for the past. I'm vaccinated, baby. Oh, okay. Nice. I'm I don't know when I'll be able to get vaccinated, but hopefully soon. So we will do that. We'll go get lunch. And yeah, for sure. Anytime. On all the nerdy stuff. Meanwhile, um, I tell my all my audience, make sure they're in my free Facebook group, Braden's Besties. You already answered this question yesterday, but just in case people didn't listen, if yep. people want to become Amy's Besties, where should they go to do that? Sure. I do have a Facebook group, which you always inspire me to get more active with. Uh, Sales Tech Yogis is where you can find me. Um, on Instagram, it's just I am Amy Monroe. Uh, just hit me up in DMs. And then uh, you can always put me in touch. And within your group, which I am a member of, if they tag me, then that'll pop up too. And I'm happy to just jump in and have a chat. Nice. All right. Yes. Yeah. So join Amy's group. Follow Amy on Instagram. If you have questions on this episode, you can also feel free to tag Amy at Amy Monroe in the Braden's Besties group. Amy, thanks so much as always for coming and sharing all of your beautiful expertise. Oh, thanks, man. Anytime. Hey there. Before you go, I wanted to give a quick thanks. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. If you loved it, I would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode or snap a quick selfie while you are listening. Share it on social and give me a tag. It'll help other kick-ass entrepreneurs like yourself find the show. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Meanwhile, let's roll up our sleeves and unfuck that biz.